I'm talking about, with each of my guests, real-life American culture. This is not some bloated, overproduced mass media conglomerate. Um, this, is, this isn't even polished. Uh, this is raw. Welcome to Deep Americana. Today I'll be interviewing Joshua Probst, a.k.a. Rockstar Vet 79 and I'll let him tell you about his military experience and without further ado, here's Joshua Probst. Um, I'm Joshua Probst, um, a.k.a. Rockstar Vet 79. I used to be in the Navy from 2000 to 2004. I was a plane captain and avionics technician on an F-14 Tomcats and then after the war, or after our part of the war in 2003, we transitioned from F-14 Tomcats to F-A-18 Super Hornets, and I moved from Japan to Lemoore, and that was, that was, you want to talk PTSD. <laughs> so, Josh, what, uh, what's your history? Where do you come from? Who are you? What's going on? Well, you know, I, I think my parents made love of probably a whole bunch when, you know, before I was born. Obviously, and um, they went to a bunch of Grateful Dead concerts in uh, like January, February 1979, probably right after I was conceived. And you know, they didn't know any better. They didn't know, the, you know, back in those days, they took a bunch of acid and went to see the Grateful Dead. That was what people did, and um, or at least that's what they did. And next thing they know, you know, nine months later, October 23rd, 1979, bam, there I am, and there I am entering the world. As a matter of fact, my parents had a 19 calendar, and on the 23rd of October, it said splitting apart. So I guess that was the day I, I was cut from my mother, so to speak, you know, because that was too big to come out of her, so they had to cut me out of her, and there I was. The Pride of the Yankees was playing on the television, and uh, my dad was bumming smokes off my mom, because in those days, the mother... The mother could smoke in the room, but the father could not. That's 1979 hilarious. logic for you. That is hilarious, but yeah. I mean, hell, they, my mother's blood pressure had actually skyrocketed when she quit smoking. You know, she was trying to be a good mom, but like her doctor said, no, the blood pressure's, like, if you, t if you start smoking again, the blood pressure will probably go down, and then things will be back to normal. So, like, I don't know, I think I was like seven pounds or something like that, right. a few ounces, so I was fine. All that low birth weight shit, I think it's just because mothers don't eat enough. Right. And I'm so, sure my mom ate plenty. So, Josh, can you, uh, like, set something, you you know, you grew up primarily in Tulsa, Oklahoma at nine, wasn't that right? Yeah, I grew up in my entire life can in, you, from Tulsa. Can, like you shed, entire, can you shed some light on uh, what it's like to grow up in Tulsa? You know, it's an interesting city because, um, you know, there's a lot of old money and, um, we didn't really have much any of it when uh, we were growing up. You know, we, we went from like you know one smaller house to a little bit bigger house, and then my parents bought a house in 1989, and that was a little smaller than the one we'd been living in. But like, it didn't bother us that much. We loved that house. We still love that house. I mean, there's aspects of it that drive me insane because I'm convinced that there's a spirit that lives in there that moves my shit around from time to time. But you know, that's life. <laughs> but you know, it's like so I said. So not not to just interrupt you, but to interrupt you. Um, so, how how did you know how how did being in and I'm going to say this and not not to put it down or anything like that, but for what it is, how how did being in the Midwest, the Bible Belt Midwest, affect and influence your life? You know, probably not as much as it did for a lot of other people, because like I mean. You know, when my dad was when my dad was younger, he was still drinking, and um, 
And so there was that. Now, in like 1984, he quit drinking. That was the first time he was serious about it. And he quit drinking for well over a year. Now, we were under the impression he quit drinking for many years longer than that. But, you know, my dad was still in his, he must have still been in his 20s at that point and having kids and all that. You know, they were 23 when the time I was born. Right. So, it's hard to imagine now because when I was 23, I went to war. Right. So, do this for me, Josh. Uh, yes. This next part of this, I want you to focus solely on you and your experience. Can you do that for me? Yes, sir. And just your experience as in Tulsa as well. If that's okay. Yeah, well, you know, when I was a little kid, everything was great. You know, I had a few, I had my friends, Autumn and Eve, and uh, and my sister, Sarah, and like, you know, there was that, and there were other people around yeah. from time to time, birthday parties and all that, and, you know, like, growing up was, was all right, and then I started school when I was five, and we went to Grissom, and... When I was when I was first there, it was great. Like we realized that um, now my mother had to my mother sent us to the nice to the nicest public schools available because that's that was kind of her theory that that you know we should be able to get the same education as any other kid regardless of where we lived in the city, and that worked out. But as I got a few years older and all these kids had way more stuff than I did, I think it it did kind of mess with me a little bit growing up. Um, you know that. And it's silly to think about now because, like, we always had plenty of stuff. Right. But, yeah, I got my Nintendo a year after everybody else did. Right. You know, um, but it, I look back on it now, and it, it, the fact that I was even upset about it is almost just trivial. I don't know. I look at look at it. I had I was pretty good. Um, I was a pretty good um, student growing up for the most part. I think I have a pretty decent brain. I mean, my parents my parents are both very smart. And um, my sister's smart, and I think I've got my brain is all right. It does. It can. It can do math. It can. It can do verbal skills and all that. I, I was gonna say you're one of the most number membering people I have ever met. Well, my memory is is something of an enigma in and of itself because I tell people that I have an audio visual memory. It's not just you know. Some people say they have a photographic memory. Some people they can remember hearing things. I have both. And I, I'm blessed, and that's that's like that's my one talent that I have. That it's what drives me because with the ability to recall everything that's ever happened in my life, just about, um, it it will serve me well in the future. You went to high school there, didn't you? Oh, of course. Yeah, I went my entire my entire life. I, I lived in Tulsa until I joined the Navy. Well, with the exception of one month in in. Um, in military school between the um, sophomore and junior year of high school because my grades weren't very were great. You in, were you in like ROTC? No, 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 no. In high school, I went to Booker T. Washington, and that's the magnet school. Uh -huh. Now, like after, you know, after all these years of going, I went to went to Grissom, and then we transferred to Bird because Bird was the the next step from Grissom. Right. So I had so I was with a lot of the same friends and then of course you go to a middle school and then you get new friends right. or new people. Well I didn't have very many friends in middle school. Middle school was a total disaster as far as I was concerned because right. you know all the friends I'd had basically ditched me by the time I was you know in eighth grade and I kind of made new friends and then by the time of the end of eighth grade it was actually pretty nice uh -huh. because I had I had my Booker T. Washington order so to speak and um, you know by the time the end of eighth grade I felt like I was on cloud nine because I was one of the smart kids and I had validation and, you know, I wasn't a total dick about it, but, you know, 
But you know, it, it felt it felt really good when I got that when my dad get, handed me that paper. You know, it was like the closest thing to getting admitted to a real college that I ever had because, like, by the time I was done with high school, I had no interest in doing any more schooling because that's thirteen years of school. <laughs> right, it's kind yeah. of my opinion that by the time yeah. you've done thirteen years of school, Ray. You should have a fucking college degree. Well, yeah. Or at least damn near it. You know, that, that's the whole And thing. now they do that. Right. But in 1998, when I graduated, that was a pipe dream. But that, that's the whole reason I, I, I quit it anyway. But by then, I already had... But then I'd already worked three real jobs, including uh, two, two restaurant jobs. The first one was a ground floor cafe where my dad worked. And he worked... He, worked, he was the baker. And I was like, you know, just getting in on... Just getting into the very beginning... Um, Bussing tables, washing dishes, and they did me. They did me some a little bit of cooking and prep work and stuff from time to time. They got me into a lot of stuff, and that was kind of the beginning of like my experience in the work field. And yeah. you know, it was it was tough. And what I got paid four seventy five an hour or something ridiculous <laughs> like that back in those days. I mean, you can't even imagine getting paid that kind oh of money my. now. But this was nineteen ninety seven, and like it was all you know. I wasn't paying rent. <laughs> so like I spent all that money on compact discs and I met my good buddy John Fitzgerald and this was like he was like the most straight-laced Catholic kid I ever knew but like him and I were best friends throughout pretty much all of high school and we still keep in contact now on Facebook uh, and we can all bitch about Facebook all we want but I mean how great is it that we can communicate with all these people all across the world that's amazing now, if there wasn't like buttons and, and you know, uh, th things of that nature. Well, I still want to kick the shit out of Zuckerberg, but that's a whole other no, thing. No, no, my yeah. point is, <laughs> not really, I'm, not Mark, supposed cool. to be, I'm not supposed to be making points on this, so this will probably get edited out. But my point to all this uh, would be, to that, is that it shouldn't be something engineered to where we drop dopamine based on likes, because that's just kind of another, anyways. No, I get what you're saying, I get that, yeah. but, I mean... But no, so there was Fitzgerald, and then, uh, as we called him, Fitz, and as time went on, it was actually really cool, because I, I mentioned my friends Autumn and Eve earlier in the podcast, um, and um, these guys were, they were my best, they were my best friends growing up, yeah. just two girls, and um, and like throughout all of our lives, we kept in contact, like we, we spent like a whole summer together, it seemed like, um, going, because like we didn't, my parents didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money on daycare. So, like, my dad worked, or was off Monday and Tuesday, but on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, we'd go over to their house, and we'd go swimming, and we'd do this, and we'd do that, and this was what, like, between either fourth and fifth grade, or fifth and sixth grade, I'd have to look it up, but it doesn't really matter, because that was, like, one of those moments, and right. we kept those moments going on, and then Autumn got accepted to Booker T, so that meant that the two of us were in, and that meant that it was almost certain that even Sarah would get in the following year, because they were in the same grade, and, um... And that meant that all four of us could go to high school together. And that, to me, was one of the coolest aspects of the whole thing, even though we didn't end up spending that much time together until my senior year. And But, I mean, I could complain about high school because, I, honestly, like, I didn't work hard enough. I didn't apply myself hard enough. But part of the problem was it was a magnet school, and there were all these um, AP classes and stuff like that. And... I took really hard classes. I probably took too many hard classes. And finally, my senior year, once I realized I couldn't do calculus um, at 7 o'clock in the morning or whatever, 8.30 or whatever it was, I had an awesome um, high school teacher and middle school teacher named Todd Orm. And at one point, he was a principal. I don't know what he does now. I'll have to look it up. But 
I had to bring him up because he was one of my all-time favorite teachers growing up. And, really? Um, cause, well, I had him in middle school and high school, and that was That's pretty cool. rare. Plus, he was also friends of friends of my family, so it was, it was kind of weird. But, like, it was totally legit. And when I had him uh, my sophomore year, I managed to get through Algebra 2 and Trigonometry. But um, pre-calc, I had issues. And calculus, my senior year, was that was just too much. Like, I finally, I finally hit the math wall. Because when they were asking me to calculate um, the, the, the shadow of a flagpole at a certain time of day, I'm like, well, when am I ever going to need to apply this? Right. Well, as it turns out, uh -oh. <laughs> a few years later when I was in the Navy, I don't get to this point yet, but I had to bring this up. A buddy of mine that worked in IS, he was an IS guy, uh, another Facebook friend, oddly enough, because, uh, you know, all my buddies from the Navy are all Facebook friends for the most part. Even the ones I couldn't stand. Because, <laughs> you know, 15 years later. You know. But anyway, um, it was uh, this, this buddy of mine, Zach, he says, you know, actually, in, in, in my field, that is something that you need to calculate. And I was like, man, I was like 22, 23 years old at this point. I was like, well, holy right, shit, right. you know, you actually can use that. You know, I, I had thought they were just making shit up. It was like busy work for, for high school students. But no, there's an actual practical application for all of it. And when I got to college, um, I did eventually learn how to do a differential equation. But, I mean, really, it, the yeah. math, I, it, that was just, anyway. Yeah. But, like, but high school, but my senior year, I, I, I kind of throttled back on all the hard classes because I knew I had enough to graduate as long as I could get through my stupid English classes because I hated taking English, which is funny because, you know, like, I'm a writer now. But I hated reading books that that I couldn't under that I couldn't really um, relate to. Right, you're a writer uh, or aspiring writer, a writer, right? Oh, I've had a few things published. Well, I mean, like little blurbs, but like you know. But when I would, you know, so why do you want to be a writer? I mean, what what uh, brought you into that? Well, you know, I joined the military August twenty first, two thousand. And by that point, you know, my dad and I had that conversation uh, before. The, like, he was the one that came up with the idea that I was that I should be in the Navy. And he said, "Well, you're going to travel, see all this stuff." And I looked right at him and I said, "Evil Empire." <laughs> and like, I repeated this like four times. This is in like what May, June of 2000, when the election's going on, and somehow I had already foreseen W becoming our next president. And my dad had told me afterward that he thought W was just simply too stupid to be our next president, and that, you know, that, that he thought that, that uh, Gore would probably be our next president, you know, like any normal person. And, you know, if you actually looked at the election, he probably should have won. But anyway, anyway, we get to, we, we get to that, and um, so I knew what I was getting into, that it could be tough. And boot camp for most people takes about nine weeks. It took about 12 for me. I joined August 21st, 2000, and I went to boot camp, and it took too long because I was always overweight, and, but I've gotten in good enough shape to run that mile and run that mile and a half in 11 and a half minutes or whatever it was because I was 20, so I had a little bit more time than a lot of those 18 right. and 19-year-olds. Right. But I turned 21 in boot camp, and, you know, I, I think they wouldn't even let us eat sweets that day because we were gearing up for one of those PT tests, but I passed it, and then we get through, you know, it was November, Actually, it was Thanksgiving weekend when we graduated, and right before that we have what they call battle stations, which is where they, after like a full day of doing a whole bunch of standard 
boot camp stuff. Then they have you go out all night and run around and uh, do all this silly stuff. And, you know, like you pretend to be in the real Navy. So, and, um, did, so did you encounter, uh, when, when you were in boot camp, you know, like... <laughs> I encountered pretty, a lot pretty, of interesting things. Pretty, pretty harsh circumstance. Well, yeah, because I wasn't... I mean, I was used to my father yelling at me. Well, weren't, weren't you... Hold on. Weren't, weren't you raised... But you were raised in more of a hippie-type manner, weren't you? To an extent, yeah. I mean, you know, my parents still wanted me to do my homework, and they still, you know, they still expected stuff of us. But at the same time, they weren't breathing down our necks constantly, right. unless it had reached a point where they felt like there was no other opportunity. And, so, and so you were in an environment now that if you moved wrong, you were, you know, ostracized, yelled at. Right, and, precisely. Right, and right. that was just, and it, it did take, you know, I spent a week in what they called, um, I think it was called PASS. But it was like, it basically what, what it was is that some people, when they get there, they're just not quite ready to adapt to the military. Like, it takes them an extra week of learning about a few things and doing collages. and I mean, it was a waste of time. But, like, I learned a few things. And as a result of that, I think I, I was more in the mindset to get through boot camp. Now, can I ask you, did they ever have you pill potatoes? No. See, that, <laughs> no, I was stuck in the scullery during our week of service. So I, didn't get to, I don't think anybody peeled potatoes in, 20, in the I'm, year 2000. You, you I realize, think at that point, all that shit was fake anyway. You, you realize that's a Stripes uh, reference, right? It's a reference to any old movie where right, they, right, right. you know, Popeye, for instance. I mean, that's cartoons, but you get my point. And this was when we were in which war? Um, well, let me get to that. Because okay. after boot camp, I went to um, Pensacola, Florida. And I was there for what, from November until till um, July. <laughs> right. That all started. That's, a, that's another interesting story in and of itself. Is that my sister and I? Well, she went to college in Simmons in Boston, and I went to boot camp the same weekend. Like we had, we had a party. My parents had a party. They bought us alcohol, even though I was wasn't quite twenty one, but yeah, close enough. Right. And all our friends were there. It was a very safe place to party because, you know, my parents aren't going to let people die and we're just smoking pot and drinking beer, right? But that was the first time I ever saw my parents high that I knew they were high. And it was very funny because I'm like the only person there not smoking pot because I'm about to go to the Navy and they're going to drug test me as soon as I get there. And they did. And I was very happy I didn't get high that night because that would have fucked my whole life up. Yeah. Seriously. Well, at least for a few years. Many years. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, so yeah, when I got to Japan, or before I got to Japan, um, I went home on leave in July of 2001 because they get 30 days. When you, go to a diff when you go to a foreign country, they give you a whole month. And then I did get high for a couple of days, and I finally did get to smoke weed with my parents. And, you know, we, we, I had the whole CD because, like, in that period of time, I was really into reggae. This was kind of like how I, that was my version of smoking pot in the Navy. I listened to reggae. I listened to a lot of fish. Um, I listened. I really started getting into the Grateful Dead on my own in that period of time because I saw the Grateful Dead when I was ten years old, and you know I went to all those shows in the womb. But um, <laughs> you know it was an embryo or whatever. But I never really got into the Dead. I started getting into that in like two thousand one, and my sister and I we came across something when I went to visit her um, in September two thousand one when I was in Virginia. And I was like, well, she's just up in Boston. You know, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because I was only in Virginia for a couple of months going to the last school before um, to learn about F-14 Tomcats before I jumped off to Japan. But, yeah, so I went to visit her. I went to visit um, my, my aunt and uncle and my cousins, Ian and Jackie. And most importantly, I got to go visit my grandfather, Pop-Pop, 
the oldest living probes, who at that point was about 97 years old. And, you know, my great-grandfather, my dad's dad's dad. And it was, it, of course, we get there, and I was so excited to see him that we just jumped right in, and Pop, poor Pop-Pop was so confused, he thought he was looking at Ian and Jackie, my cousins. But from his perspective, they, we probably didn't look that much different. You know, we did look different, but... I always thought in those days that Ian and Jackie reminded me so much of my sister and I at, at that age, except they were really well behaved. Although, again, you know, it's a holiday weekend or whatever, and I'm sure they were on their best behavior. Yeah. Right. But it was a nice time. Um, once you finally figured out who I was, and the whole thing, I mean, the whole weekend was awesome. My sister and I went out and bought a bunch of CDs, you know, like that was Excellent. what I did in that era. I bought a yard. I bought some Yardbird CDs. I so, remember this well. So, Josh, let's shift our focus here to Japan. Japan was the fleet, and of course, nine eleven happened about a week after um, that that Labor Day weekend. Well, eight days or whatever. Oh, and that was the only time I was ever in uh, New York City. Was on the way back, on the way too as well. But really, on the way back, I actually had a layover, and I walked outside and I could see the twin towers and all this other bullshit and. You know, like, that was New York City, and that's the only time I've ever really been there, at least until um, January, but um, coming up. So I get to Japan, um, October 6th, 2000, October 5th or 6th, 2001, you know, flew from Atlanta Airport, uh, we were just there, right? <laughs> right. Um, flew from Atlanta Airport straight to Narita. Narita's about an hour north of Tokyo. This is like a 15-hour flight. Now, this is me in 2001. Now, I'm like, oh, here, have some drinks, but you can't smoke cigarettes on the flight. Well, what's the point of having fucking alcohol if you can't have cigarettes? Assholes. It's a 15-hour flight. There should be a spot. I get it if we're just crossing over into, you know, a couple hours here and there, the, the flights in America. That's not that big a deal, but this was 15 hours. It was a long flight. Didn't you have an in incident when you were in Japan that you got sucked into a jet intake? Actually, we were on the USS Kitty Hawk at that okay. point, and we weren't in Japan, but I think we were, um, I think at that point we were floating around um, Korea, Korean okay. airspace and all that. And um, So what happened? Well, um, we were doing what's called an Alert 7, okay. and this is all practice, mind you. This is November 2002, okay. and we're gearing up for the war that we were afraid we were going to, well, I wouldn't say afraid, because I didn't fear fighting the war. I feared our country entering a war, you know, because my job wouldn't really change. At that point, I was still a plane captain. They were painting my name on the jet around this period of time. That was the weird, well, they were going to paint the name. That's what it was. And so on this day, they gave my buddy Raymond, they gave my buddy Raymond and I the um, two alert jets that day because my senior chief, he was, he was trying to hook us up, you know, and like, you guys are going to kick ass and do this all just right. And everything was going great until they moved the aircraft because, like, we set everything up, we start everything up, and there's, like, this whole protocol, and everything's great. Okay. Until they move us over to the to the catapult where they actually launch the jets. Okay. Well, for whatever reason, um, I get the second, the, the jet that's going to go second. And so everybody flocks over to the jet that's going to go first. Right. Except, like, and I couldn't see anybody on my jet. And the thing I have to do before we can shut the before we could shut off the engines, is um, we have to we have to install like these big power cables that come up from underneath the um, you get them like right on the deck. They come up from the bottom. You pull this big metal thing off, and here's this cord, and you plug it into the aircraft. Mm -hmm. So 
ideally, in a perfect world, I would find someone else, and they would plug it into the aircraft, and then everything's plugged in, and then we shut everything down. So I signal to the guys. I don't know where anyone is. I signal to the air crew. So I go under there myself to grab the damn to grab the damn plug because I don't know of anyone working on my aircraft. Right. You know, there's supposed to be like three or four people over there, or at least right. one other person. Right. So I go underneath the jet, you know, like very carefully because you know about the intakes. So you got to stay as close to the center as possible. And I'm looking for this this cord. Right. Well, I finally do pick up this power cord. And I start taking it right underneath the center of the jet where I'm supposed to do it. I'm trying to do this really fast. Well, these power cords notoriously will move you around a little bit right. because they're really heavy and they're attached to a spool, and y you get the idea. Right, right, right. And, you know, the retractable cords and all that. And, and so, like, it's drifting me over to um, what would be my left side at that point, engine number one. And before I even knew what happened... My goggles had flown right into the intake, oh. and I'd gotten tackled, and, and I had no idea. Like, you want to talk about one of those moments where you don't know what happened until it already had? Right. That was that moment. But by the grace of God, a good man, um, David Schmidt, you, know, you don't forget these guys, um, he, he tackled me and That's saved my life. Good. And so when we did that, then... Um, and then, and by this point, we were going to have, everything was totally fucked up because, like, you know, my goggles were gone, and I'm right. looking around, like, because you're not supposed to not have your goggles on right. when, during air-offs. And I'm like, what the fuck happened here? And I'm like, you know, it was, it was totally bizarre, but I was all, and then I saw Schmitty, and I gave him the biggest fucking hug I ever could have, because, you know, what do you do when a guy saves your life? You give him a hug, right? right. And um, and so I had to leave the flight deck, but they had to shut the engines off because they were concerned about this, you know, this piece of plastic that had gone in there. Right. And so they completely fucked away the Alert 7, only to find out, this is the best part of all, when Schmitty tried to take the power cord and plug it in, it didn't even reach the fucking receptacle. Oh, because the goddamn yellow shirts had parked the jet in the wrong fucking place. And if I ever find those fucking people, I will punch them in the face. Because they have, as a result of all of this, you know, I'm not the person I used to be. Right. Because these people didn't so, do their job properly. Right. And so, some of them were in my... I'm sorry, I got really yeah, upset, but, you know, yeah. when they did the investigation over the course of the next month, and I was taken off the flight deck for, like, nearly a week, right. and they wanted to take me off completely, but my senior chief, bless his heart, would not have it. Like, when they did the report, they just determined it was, like, a command failure. But that night, I had to go to every shop and talk about um, situational awareness and all this other nonsense, but I didn't go to bed till almost 10 o'clock that night, and, you know, that was late for me, right. 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and I told one of my buddies uh, that, I, that I'd worked with in the hangar a bunch um, on my days that I wasn't up there, right. this guy, um, Owen, I said to him, man, I don't know what to do tonight, I, like, I don't know if I should be jumping up and down or if I should, should be in a ball crying, you know, because right. these emotions are intense, and he's like, that's the exact thing you'd expect to hear somebody say, and like, just him saying that, because he'd been around, you know, eight years or whatever. Yeah. So, like, that meant a lot to me. And just a few people just saying just kind words, it meant everything. And I did get back on the flight deck, and we did finish off that cruise, and they put my name on the same jet that almost killed me, 111. And, you know, we got back We got back in December, and then I went home on, or I was about to go home on leave, and then they told us that we were going to go out to the Persian Gulf, which I kind of expected, but I kept watching all this news, and I'm like, 
They can't find weapons of mass destruction. Why are they sending us out there? There are no weapons of mass destruction. This is beginning of 2003. Right. And I go home on leave, and we have a blast. And well, we tried to have a blast, but my grandfather passed away. So that was three days, you know, I should complain so, about days lost because my grandfather was awesome. And I was so happy to be to be there for that moment because he had also been in the Navy. How do you feel like, I feel like you've kind of defined the idea of PTSD with these experiences. How do you feel like, you know, PTSD has affected you? There's just certain instances where I can't deal with stuff like a way a normal person can. Like, I don't like to deal with automated phones right like I don't know that anyone does but to me it's like I just keep hitting zero till I get to a human being um that was a frustration well yeah cuz like sometimes like it's like I'll just get easily frustrated and you know usually I will complete a task right but I'm here to tell you half the time it's not even PTSD it's ADHD um, now, do you think PTSD has impacted, you know, your, your judgments, your relationships? Absolutely. I mean, I guarantee you the reason that I've been fired from so many jobs out of, the, out of the, every job I've ever had out of the Navy was because, like, it's the same thing when I was in the Navy. I mean, shit. Later, after we got back from war in 2003, you know, like, I would smoke cigarettes routinely in my barracks room, which was against the rules, because it was like, fuck you, I went to war for you guys. You're going to put up with a little bit of my nonsense, and my nonsense is drinking alcohol in my barracks room, cranking up the Led Zeppelin DVD, which had just come out that summer. It was like perfect timing. And um, and smoking cigarettes. This was like our normal routine. And then we had some asshole going through the rooms, taking digital photographs, because when these things had first come out, you know, and then sending them to our command, like, oh, this guy's got an ashtray in his room, you guys should really fuck with him. And it's like, what? <laughs> You're worried about me smoking a cigarette in my barracks room? And this whole thing, and we reached a point where I'm in, in the room with my command master chief and a couple other chiefs that are just there to complain and bitch at me, and say, well, your uniform doesn't look quite the way we expect it to. It's like, well, fuck you, you know? Like, you ain't got time for that shit. Right. I mean, what are these people doing? And and finally, so we're getting into this whole thing, and finally I started have told this, I told my command master chief, who's the highest-ranking um, enlisted enlisted guy in our, in our whole command, I told him to go fuck himself because it was... It was nonsense. Like, why is he bitching to me about smoking a cigarette in my fucking barracks room after we had kicked ass all fucking, all, all spring long into the war, no lost sorties. Like, everything went off without a hitch except the jet that, that, that crashed. But that was, had nothing to do with us. That was a detachment. These guys were looking specifically for us, or, um, they were looking specifically for Saddam Hussein. They didn't find him when we were out there, but they found him months later. But, um... So, like, my command master chief, like, he, he takes my, like, they took my liberty away, and they sent me, they sent me away for a month to, like, reboot camp or whatever, re, and I'm like, and they didn't take really any money from me or anything, so that wasn't a big deal, but it was like a month where I missed all my friends, you know, because we were having a lot of fun that summer. After all that shit, after that month, and my roommate, um, the, the one and the only Ash Bridges had, um, had set this whole thing up so there was all this liquor in the room and you know I get there and I probably spent five minutes trying to open a beer because I couldn't find a damn bottle opener but you know didn't matter went out that night uh, signed off the old 14-day math and um, 
Uh, yeah, you'll have to look in the notes for that, boys and girls. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, you know, it was a grand old time when I got back, and the rest of that summer and fall until we left um, was, was just grand. In fact, I get to meet my I got to meet my cousin. I hooked up with a couple of different girls over that period of time, including one that I would end up spending a lot of time with over the course of the next, what, seven years? Those times, those last days in Japan were great, but they, they fucked with everybody's liberty so badly that they were having us muster at, like, midnight. You know, we'd have to, like, go, go say, hi, I'm here, and it was the most ridiculous thing ever. It's like a seven-year-old. And the way that was the whole thing. The way they treated you in the military was like everybody gets treated the same way to a point, and like one person fucks up, and they fuck everybody over. And that's not the way you run the world. Like that's not that that's not fair to people. And I see it more. I see it more and more ever since 9/11. I, I see America turning into its own version of the military, whether it be. Um, you know, civilians or whatever, like, it's all happening like that, and maybe we're starting to move off into a little bit different direction now, but this post-9-11 mentality is very interesting to me, because it's been, what, 18 years since this shit happened? It's like an entire person's um, growing up period of time, you know, from when they're born to when they graduate high school. I think it's time to get to the post-post-9-11 society. I think we're there now. I think a generation has passed, and we can move on, and we'll never forget 9/11. I mean, let's not get let's, let's not mistake ourselves. Let's not get confused. Let's not get it twisted, as my ex would have always said. Well, excellent, Josh. I think that about wraps us up for now. All right. Well, thank you for being uh, on our show here, and uh, with, with, with that, we should give Josh a round of applause. That's it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Deep Americana. Share with others. Tell your family. Keep talking to each other out there. Peace, love, and guns and roses.